0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey folks, today's episode is brought to you by Litbreaker. Litbreaker is an online advertising network. It's a way to reach the culture web. Do you want to advertise on sites like the Nervous Breakdown, the Rumpus, the Paris Review, Large Hearted Boy, full stop. The list goes on. Go to litbreaker.com and you can advertise on the full network, all of those sites in the network, or you can pick the sites that you want and advertise piecemeal. It's very user friendly. Litbreaker.com. Check it out. This is an advertising network for the culture web. Go and advertise on it. Oh my God.
1: You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common.
0: Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done.
1: I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. you know, It was like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy.
0: Just one person at just one time. Hey, everybody. Ready? here we go again. <laughs> right. This is it. This is other people. This is something we're undergoing together. This might not be safe for work. How you doing? I'm Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. It's good to be with you. I appreciate you uh, tuning in. I have a great show for you today. Maggie Shipstead is the guest. She is the author of the novels Astonish Me and uh, Seating Arrangements, both of which uh, were critically acclaimed. Very pleased to have Maggie here. She's a very accomplished uh, young author whose pedigree intimidates me. But uh, she was nice enough to come over. We sat down, we talked. I confessed to her my insecurities. Speaking of uh, insecurities, we're getting down to the wire here uh, on uh, the pregnancy, and my wife woke me up last night uh, experiencing some sort of abdominal uh, contraction, cramping, woke her up from a dead sleep. It was very painful, very scary. I didn't know what was going on. It's like 2.30 in the morning. I'm like, what should we do? Do we call the doctor? Is this it? Did your water break? No, my water didn't break she was doing some breathing it was you know so i just texted the uh, ob uh, the obgyn our uh, gyne- or her gynecologist and uh i was asking i was asking him like what do i do like what when do i call you at two in the morning when is that okay and uh, he's texting me back right now i'm awaiting his reply or he's going to call my wife directly carrie Maybe she's in labor. Maybe she's giving birth to our child inside as we speak. I'm in the garage. By the way, this is the first summer that I've ever uh, done this show from this space. It's very hot. Full flop sweat. Hey, do you need some new earbuds? Do you need some new headphones? Go to tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com. And uh, get 33% off when you enter the offer code other people. O-T-H-E-R-P-P-L. Tweakedaudio.com. Um, I don't know. I'm in a daze. I'm I'm re- truly sweating bullets. I think we should just get to the show. I had a good time with Maggie. I don't know what I'm going to name my son yet. We're having, we're down to the wire. I think we have a short list. I'm not going to share it. I'm not one of those people who won't share. I'm just not going to share it on the show. If you see me in person somehow, or we have like a, you know, a one-on-one exchange. I'll tell you what the short list is. But I've been forthcoming with people all throughout the process and I've heard everything. Every single name that we have. Some people hate it. Some people love it. Some people have nice things to say about certain names. Some people have not so nice things. So, of course, that leaves me in a state of uh, paralysis and confusion. And I think what it's going to come down to is uh, either a hippie name or a traditional name. That's where we are. Do we go with the hippie name that we really like uh, or do we go with a traditional name or do we somehow combo it up? Do we use a traditional name as an insurance policy and then use the hippie name in the middle and then call the hip, you know, call the kid by his hippie name? Uh, you know, that's what we're trying to do, to parse right now. And it might be a situation where, uh, you know, we uh, we just have to meet the boy, have a look at him, see what his name is that way so oh here's what the uh, gynecologist says pains that go away are not labor if it's recurrent every three to five minutes for one to two hours time to go in you don't have to call (laughs) just go to the hospital someone at the hospital will call at 2am do not call me (laughs) call the office to speak to the doctor on call or just go to the hospital all right So now I've got my instructions. I was ready to call him last night. I'm like, this is why we pay the big bucks, right? I can just call you at 2 a.m. when I'm confused. My wife is doing uh, Lamaze breathing in my bed. Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow My guest, once again, is Maggie Shipstead. Uh, her books, Astonish Me and Seating Arrangements, uh, drew great uh, cl- uh, critical acclaim upon publication. She's one of our finest young authors, and it was just a great pleasure to have her here and get a chance to talk with her, and I hope you guys enjoy this one. Here she is, folks. This is Maggie Shipstead. Harvard University. Yeah. Iowa Writers' Workshop. Mm-hmm. Wallace Stegner Fellow. Mm-hmm. Some sort of fellowship in Paris.
1: Yeah, that was sort of a spin off from the Stegner. But... Okay.
0: What are you doing here? <laughs> Why are you talking to me? <laughs>
1: you asked. <laughs> okay. okay.
0: Uh, it's impressive. Thank you. I'm always, and I have a little bit of a uh, inferiority complex when it comes to people who are like super well educated. Um, I, I, you know, it's kind of a consistent theme on this show. L- like, I feel like when I look at somebody like you, you seem to be doing everything right. Like, not just as a writer, but as a person getting educated, getting into the right schools, taking your education seriously, which is something I did not do when I was like 18 years old. Uh, why? What is it? like? Are you? Have you always been this way? Did your parents uh, do something special?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's like anything. It's just sort of like one step after the other. So I never had this sort of master plan, although I was a really aggressive high school student. Meaning what? I really wanted to go to Harvard.
0: You did? Yeah. You knew that. Yes. I didn't. I just wanted to drink beer.
1: <laughs> I did not drink any beer in high school. At all. No.
0: You get straight A's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You were intense.
1: I was really intense. I was valedictorian. Um, I think I took like eleven APs, all that stuff. Uh,
0: were your parents pushing you?
1: No, not really. Um, my mom's a child development professor.
0: That's okay. <laughs> You're her little laboratory experiment.
1: in a way, yeah, when I was in elementary school and i I was sick or pretending to be sick, she would take me into her class and have me sort of demonstrate my phase of development, so I'd like sort little animals or you know, she'd pour water into a tall, skinny vase and a short fat face, and I'd say if they were the same. Um, but I have a brother who's very different, so she was pretty.
0: See a high achiever?
1: Yeah, but he wasn't the same kind of student. Um, he went to the Air Force Academy. He's still in the Air Force. He's a Lieutenant Colonel Select, um, which I'm really proud of. Uh, so, so we had kind of room to be different, and whatever we were sort of passionate about was encouraged. And okay. we always loved airplanes. Um, He was
0: flying airplanes at eight years old.
1: (laughs) No, but he could (laughs) identify them. (laughs) From the ground. When he was really little, he wanted to be a garbage man. And my mom would drive around behind the garbage truck.
0: Okay, now we're talking. Well, okay, my mom didn't do that, but now we're talking. (laughs) That's my scale of ambition. When I was a kid, my friends and I, and this is a very, like, this is, uh, I can relate it all to pop culture. The Star Wars, uh, the first one, Uh like way back, old school. yeah. The trash compactor scene. Awesome. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. We used to love to to watch the trash compactor in the garbage truck because (laughs) it reminded us of that. And we would just like give the garbage men things and they would crush them for us. And like, we'd love to watch them like throw a TV in there. But we used to ride our bikes behind the garbage truck chasing it, which when you think about it, isn't the safest thing in the world.
1: Or the least smelly thing. It was a different time. Yeah.
0: Our parents, my mom, it was like, okay, kids Mm -hmm. have fun chasing the garbage truck. Just riding your little like, you know. Tiny little bicycle little behind
1: roller it. Rollerblade down the steep hill to the murderer's house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Kind of like that too.
0: Those were the days. <laughs> um, but no, so like that was that was part of it. Like if you showed interest in something that was genuine as a child and that was uh, self-generated mm-hmm. or largely self-generated, one of the things that your mother would do or your parents would do is they would support that.
1: Yeah, um, and I was always a reader. I never wanted to be a writer, and my mom would kind of say, "Oh, maybe you should be a writer," and I'd be like, "No, I'm gonna." design handbags or be a oceanographer or something
0: yeah, i feel like every girl not i don't want to make a sweeping generality my wife wanted to be a marine biologist having yeah. no aptitude for science at all yeah. i hear that a lot
1: i love it yeah i'm really into the ocean i don't know w- wanting to work with dolphins i think actually studying it is can be quite boring yeah it's just yeah in the lab or whatever um so what was i talking about oh doing different things yeah so i and i um this sort of school stuff, though, was was just me being competitive. I think, and I was a I was a competitive horseback rider until my mid twenties, and really serious about it, especially in high school. But it just like not that talented. So when I was a teenager, what, what we were, does this
0: mean? Like like horse racing?
1: Uh, horse jumping.
0: Like equestrian. Yeah. How did you get into that?
1: I we moved when I was seven, um, from Mission Viejo to Coto de Casa. And part of the bargain for me going quietly was that I could take riding lessons. And I think they had no idea what they were getting into. It's like a nightmare sport. It's really dangerous. It's really expensive. Um, But I just started doing it. And so in high school, like in the winter, I would leave school on Thursday afternoon and go out to the desert. There's a six-week-long horse show like out near Palm Springs. And I'd horse show over the weekend, compete, and come back to school. So. All my dreams for myself were kind of about horses, and I like there were these things I wanted to win, I wanted to qualify for sort of national level shows, and I just wasn 't good enough and I think that was actually a really helpful experience for me to have something that I really wanted and have it just not work out and it's given me a lot of appreciation for how you know lots of things out there in the world are just genuinely very difficult
0: well and no, but this is a theme that you work with and astonish me where you're talking, and this is something i 'm kind of fixated on because uh... What is it? You know, it's like this. Uh, I guess I fixate on it with regard to sport. Mm-hmm. You know, ballet being a physical. I guess is it a sport? Yeah. It's an art, it, but it's physical. Yeah. It's an art and a sport. it's for sure. Um, but when you when you look at a professional athlete, there's only so much that hard work and persistence can do for you in that mm-hmm. realm. You have to be born with it. Mm-hmm. And I think about the arts, and I think about writing in particular. And you know, I think that maybe people tend to believe more that when it comes to something like this, it's just like, if you're up at six and you're getting your thousand words a day, like eventually you're going to write your masterpiece. And it's like, actually, no, Yeah. you're probably not unless you're one of like, you know, the needle in the haystack.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really true. And I think I've sort of said this a lot, especially in the context of astonish me, but, you know, I think in our culture, we have these two beliefs that sort of conflict, but can exist simultaneously in a lot of people, which is that. Anyone can do anything with hard work, like you were saying, and also that geniuses sort of descend fully formed from the sky, you know, and don't have to work. I think people sort of hold both those beliefs, and and the talent thing, talent's almost a dirty word, I think, now. But you're right, and and ballet, for me, is a particularly sort of salient example, because you can just see someone's body isn't quite right or doesn't develop in quite the right way and it's just over. They can't do it. There's right. no way to compensate yeah. for
0: it. Like I'm never going to play for the Lakers me and it's because yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we have that in common. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now we're talking. We found some common ground but it's like you know uh, you just don't have the body Yeah. and maybe as a writer you just don't have the mind. Like for me I wrote and published a novel I don't think it's a great novel. It was good enough to get published. It's hard to talk about your own work but I have my feelings about it. Uh, I'm not one of those writers who's like I love it, mm-hmm. you know. I'm like, oh, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> little <Yeah>. embarrassing. But <laughs> um, I also like trying to get a clear view of myself. I sometimes feel like I'm not enough of a book nerd to really be one of the few. I think you have to be one of those people who's like, or maybe you don't. I, you know, E. B. White like barely read books mm-hmm. and wrote classics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like more often than not, people who are really doing it are people who just just can't stop devouring books. I have a hard time finding books that I'm actually uh, into. Mm-hmm. Is that weird <laughs> no, <laughs> for a literary I mean, person?
1: Yeah, I feel the same way. There are just so many sort of bad books or books that I don't like. Or I, or they're I, just I, not for I, me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think the question of talent sort of in the context of writing fiction gets really complex because I think you can be talented in all different ways. Like There are people who don't really have you know the gift of of beautiful surprising language but are amazing storytellers and they can be extremely successful and then there are people who have the gift of language but can't really tell a story and they can also be successful but just in a really different way and i think a lot of it has to do also with just the kind of person you are and whether you have something to say about the world and and everyone does but it's it's um i read a really good interview with this Agent Chris Paris Lamb. I interviewed Did you him. That? Oh, you I, re- interviewed him here?
0: Yeah, not here, but I mean on the show. Yeah. yeah.
1: I don't know if he said this to you also, but it was something where he finds NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, like offensive to writers because it implies that all anyone needs to write a novel is time. And that's pretty harsh because people love NaNoWriMo, but I was like,
0: It's like in i I've never gotten into, I've never done that. Mm -hmm. It's, I get it at the level of enforced discipline. Mm -hmm. I don't get it at that level, Mm -hmm. you know, but I don't think, I think anybody who's ever tried seriously to write understands that like, yeah, I mean, I can crank out a shitty first draft at best in a month Mm -hmm. and it'll be like maybe shittier than like my normal shitty first draft. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, if people are, if people are tricked into thinking that it's that easy, then they've got a lot of learning to do, I Mm -hmm. would suspect.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, So what are you good at? I mean, like, like, how do you assess your own talents as a writer? Like, where do you fall? I mean, because you mentioned earlier that you have this, you know, you were were an unusually serious high school student. Mm -hmm. You have a a background in competitive sports. So you have the competitive thing, which I think is an advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, It's tricky because I don't think I have it. I was never a good competitive athlete. I never like burn with that. But then I'm one of those people who will sometimes say, well, I'm competitive with myself. And I, I mean, I want to get the best out of myself. Mm-hmm. I don't like looking myself in the mirror and feeling like I did a half ass job, mm-hmm. but I'm not wired to compete. Like mm-hmm. you look at somebody like, you know, professional athlete, uh, some of these, some writers who are mm-hmm. like tracking other writers and who's getting what award mm-hmm. I could care less. Mm-hmm. I don't know any of it. Um,
1: yeah, I stay pretty on top of that stuff, <laughs> which is probably bad for my mental health. No, look at you,
0: but you're winning these prizes too, and you're going to like Steg, you know, the Stegner Fellowship, which I didn't even learn about until I was probably thirty. You know, like yeah. So I mean, I'm just not tuned in.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a good thing in that it does motivate me, um, and. I'm pretty quick, or historically, I've been a pretty quick writer, especially of first drafts. I wrote both my books. I wrote Seating Arrangements and the first draft in eight months and sold it a year later. And astonished Me, I really wrote the entire, like, the sale draft in five months, which is, like, crazy fast, Just, like, I acknowledge and actually has given me false expectations on how quickly I can write a book, and now it 's taking forever but
0: okay, but it takes you a long time. I mean, does it take you a long time to get to the point where you have the, the narrative by the tail, or uh, are you just really just working your way through it one day at a time and, and just intuitively finding your way
1: yeah i don 't outline um, both my books started as short stories that didn 't quite work, um, so in that sense, I had you know some waypoints. Like Seating arrangements I basically kept the beginning and the end of the short story And kind of wedged in another 300 pages Um, And Astonish Me Just sort of developed really organically Um, But yeah I mean I think as far as what what my talents are, I think. I think writing pretty decent first drafts is actually a really helpful one. It makes me a lot more efficient.
0: How many? How how quick do you work? Like, what's your output in a day?
1: Well, see, that is really variable. I mean, plenty of days, of course, it's like zero or um,
0: negative, negative if you're cutting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: I can do a thousand words in a day pretty easily, and I I didn't keep track when I was writing. Astonish me, but I'm sure there are days that are closer to, you know, three thousand, maybe. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: If there's dialogue, if yeah. things are moving.
1: Yeah, but I'm not I, Joyce Carol Oates had some horrifying tweets.
0: She's she's <laughs> obnoxious.
1: <laughs> but what was it? It was like she'd set a personal record for words in a day, and she hadn't really slept, and it was like thirty thousand. It was something. No, I'm
0: on the galley train, so I get galley sent yeah. to me constantly. I get a Joyce Carol Oates galley every three months. Yeah, it feels like. Yeah. I mean, it's like literary fiction at the at the output level of like your typical like pulp yeah. romance novelist. It's well, insane,
1: and there's someone who just seems to have. I mean, I would maybe put Stephen King in this category too, where it seems like almost a sickness, just the need to continually pour out. Words. Well, it's
0: hypographia, isn't that yeah. there? Isn't there a name for it? Is that it? I, I think so. That. But okay, but there you go, because that might be. I mean, to me, that stri- I mean, it strikes me as she's uniquely talented. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do that if I tried. No. You know, and so like the field should be left maybe to people like that. I mean, not entirely, but. I'm like, you know, it, to me, it's like squeezing water from a stone. Is that, is that a, is that a yeah. phrase?
1: But on the other hand, then you get lots of books that people take forever. Yeah. Huh? I know. Yeah.
0: I know. I just want it to be easy, Maggie. Yeah, I, w- all. I want to be talented. <laughs> I want to have a gift.
1: I don't think it's, I don't know. I feel like if it seems easy, something's wrong just for absolutely anyone.
0: I know, but it's like, it's, it's not easy for Stephen King, but it is easy. er. It's not easy for Joyce Carol Oates, but it is easier. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? and
1: uh, But they're like ultra marathoners, you know? Like, it is easier, but they've also just built themselves into this shape where they can just keep going.
0: Well, and I also... Yeah, I mean, part of it is just, I think, repetition. They've built this discipline. Um, some of it... Like, uh, I think Stephen King... Uh, I mean, this is me just getting way off the the reservation and like uh, speculating, but uh, struggle with addiction. Mm-hmm. And I know writers mm-hmm. who struggle with addiction who then get sober and it's like they fixate on that work and that work becomes like the be- I feel like they have like uh, an ability to, you know, get into a novel and, and uh, work in a disciplined way. And it's sort of a replacement Mm -hmm. behavior for maybe some of that addictive energy.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense.
0: I mean, is that uh, a reach? Should we call him? Yeah. (laughs) Steven. figured it out. You don't even remember writing Cujo (laughs) because you're in a blackout. Um, You know, I don't know. But I mean, like the hypo, I mean, he's got to write. It's got to come out of him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I think that's kind of like, and, and, you know, it's like a real oddity, but it serves him well. (laughs) Clearly. yeah. Yeah. And you are a huge reader.
1: I guess I am. I was more as a child. That's a common complaint, I think, amongst writers. That you can't read the way you did as a child.
0: I feel that way for sure. You know, or even as a young person, or yeah. a pre-child person. Like you know, I read a lot of kids' books.
1: Yeah, <laughs> tons. Yeah,
0: I can like recite them almost. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's uh, it gets more and more difficult to find the time. And I feel like a lot of us feel squeezed by the internet and by you know everyone's watching. Let me put it to you this way. I bitch about not having time to read, and yet I always find time to watch Game of Thrones.
1: hmm I find a lot of time to look at my various apps, yeah. you know, every yeah. day. Yeah. No, the internet's a, just a crazy time suck. I'm kind of in the midst of trying to find ways of mitigating, like... I'm not going to do the and like super gluing. That just seems <laughs> having theatrical. the yeah the Wi Fi. <laughs> yeah, I
0: have this theory that he's actually on Twitter, <laughs> but just anonymously.
1: I wonder who he is. <laughs>
0: I mean, who knows? He's got. I mean, because the thing is, I mean, he's in a unique position because he sort of uh, positioned himself as like this anti uh, internet guy, an anti social media guy, and yet whenever he utters a single word in the press. Social media goes crazy mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. It's ideal. He doesn't yeah. even have to be participating in it to be like the king of it.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: It's like, fuck, I, man.
1: I wrote my one angry letter to an editor over his essay about Edith Wharton that was in The New Yorker. Yeah. And it gave me like a rage rash. Because he sort of had this air of rescuing her from obscurity. And she has three novels that are 100 years old that people still read. And then he sort of had this idea that her entire sort of... Oeuvre was based on the fact that she wasn't pretty. And he said her marriage was a failure, but like, we don't really know if that's because she wasn't pretty. This and that. Uh-huh. And it was, yeah, it made me insane. Yeah,
0: yeah. He makes a lot of people insane. Yeah. He yeah. has that effect. Yeah. He's a lightning rod. Yeah. Um, do you try? I mean, like, okay. So, like, let's get back to you. <laughs> Literary prizes, um, be, being aware of the market, being aware of how to succeed in this business. You're off to a great start. What are you, like, 31 years old?
1: Mm-hmm, for another couple weeks.
0: You won the Dylan... Okay, well, happy early birthday. <laughs> Thanks. Um, you won the Dylan Thomas Prize. That's for a first novel?
1: It's... It doesn't have to be... When I went, you had to be under 30, and it was anyone writing in English, and it could be a novel, it could be stories, it could be a play, poetry. I think
0: Claire V. Watkins yeah, won it.
1: Yeah, she won... Yeah, two, two A year, couple years ago.
0: Yeah. yeah, I talked to her. And,
1: and they just changed it, so now you have to be under 40, which I think is a really different... It's made it. A, I mean, the people who are finalists this year were a lot more famous for that reason. It's
0: got a good cash prize. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's in the British pound, right? So yeah. it's like, okay, the exchange rate is helpful. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you you got that. And, you know, you got the Stegner Fellowship, the Iowa, like all these things credential a writer. And uh, they help, right? I mean, do they help you get blurbs? Do they help you get publishing deals? Do they make your advances bigger? Do you feel like those things have had a demonstrable effect on your ability to get your books read?
1: Um, that's tricky. I think yes and no. Definitely having gone to Iowa, um well I met my agent at Iowa. I would say if you're sending out, you know, stuff to agents, they probably definitely read it. But I kind of think they definitely look at everyone's stuff and
0: Yeah, but if it says it's coming from an Iowa Writers Workshop writer, they l- another look, They look at yeah, it. Yeah,
1: there's so many MFA grads now that it's it's definitely not doesn't make anything a sure thing. Um, and in some ways then like pass it and I don't think it makes your advance bigger. I think like something that's not really quite understood generally about publishing is that you know they're They want to make money. Like it's a business proposition. So they're gonna buy books that they think will sell. And I and I think this is the missing piece of the whole NYC versus MFA thing. And people always start with this assumption that MFA programs turn out cookie cutter writers. Right. Which I just never saw happening either at Iowa or at Stanford. Like if people came in weird, they left weird, everyone appreciated, you know, stuff that was unusual. But I think that people who are MFAs who are getting published, you know, tend to fall into a certain mainstream category or the ones who get published. And then widely read. I mean, I think that's sort of because of publishers and because of the market is really creating that that idea of of um, cookie-cutter writers. But I don't know, I mean certainly all that, that has been helpful, but there are a lot of people out there who went to Iowa and they're really Stegner's kind of its own thing, but because by that point, I mean like my workshop was ten people, so they take five people a year and you stay for two years. Um, my first year Jasmine Ward was in my workshop, won the National Book Award, Justin Torres, Jennifer Dubois, um, people who have published books and had book deals. I've talked to all. I haven't
0: talked to Justin Torres, but I've talked to everybody else. Oh, really? You've yeah. talked to Jennifer? Uh, yeah.
1: Oh, she's one of my best friends. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I I think by that point, it's sort of the cart of the horse, you know? Like, you're a Stegner because you're writing publishable stuff.
0: Wait a minute. Did I talk to Jennifer? What, is, what was her book? Cartwheel? Yeah.
1: And a partial history of lost causes.
0: I'm pretty sure. I'm yeah. so, I mean, I've done 300. I've done almost That's 400. Crazy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I would be embarrassed if I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I talked to her. Transen, I think I had him in here at some point. It's hard to remember. Um, but, you know, these things, I guess these things help, though. Because when you present a manuscript to New York, and by the way, who is your agent?
1: Her name is Rebecca Gratinger. Okay fantastic
0: and you've had a good time with her
1: yeah i mean i met her at iowa when i was the second year i got sent to pick her up at the airport and we just got along
0: isn't that convenient they send the students to go pick mm -hmm. the agents up okay the the
1: the administrator called me and was like do you have a car i was like yeah she's like do you have an agent i was like no and she's like go get this woman and so so i've been working with her ever since which is kind of like marrying the first person you go on a date with (laughs) (laughs) like very intimate relationship um But I would say, I mean, so all that stuff, yeah, I think it helps you get in the door. But I think also publishers are looking for sort of the odd man who comes out of nowhere. You know, I think, like, in a sense, my story as far as promoting my books is not helpful because it's too charmed. And, like, that's fair enough. It's not really an interesting story. It's like, yeah... It's an, going it's an it's an incredible
0: well. res like everything like the, the prizes the uh, you know the uh, diplomas like you've got everything.
1: Yeah, but it's kind of like I was saying at the beginning. I think when it's your life, all this stuff happens so slowly and incrementally that it doesn't seem special. And you see other people doing things that are better, and it's like, well, mm, you yeah.
0: Know that? <laughs> Who's doing better? <laughs> Who? What's what thirty-one thing? year? What thirty-one year old writer is doing better than They're you? are out there. Who? Let me. Let me. Okay, I'll couple it. Like, who do you feel like, like, are there people you measure yourself against who are your contemporaries that you're willing to say? And then secondly, uh, as you look forward, like what kind of career do you want?
1: (laughs) I feel like I can't really answer either of those without sounding like an asshole. That's okay.
0: (laughs) I sound like an asshole all the time.
1: No, I mean, I want, I'd like a long career. I do this full time. I don't teach. You
0: make your living doing this. Yeah. You're making enough money to survive.
1: Yeah. Which is really unusual and is sort of. Just like, on,
0: like book sales and prize money and everything? Yeah. How many countries you sell your books in?
1: Mm, seating Arrangements is like six or seven. Plus, like the British publisher then distributes to all the Commonwealth countries. Um, Astonish Me is about the same. But Seating Arrangements was a Times bestseller. I mean, that's really what's done it. And I don't know, it might live fairly inexpensively. Um, just because it's just me, I don't have kids. I Have a dog. Uh, what kind of dog you got? He's a Dalmatian Australian Shepherd mix. Okay. He's very smart. I he was going to say refrigerators yeah. and jars. I used to have a border collie, so I oh, get it. Yeah.
0: Plus, like you got the whole thing—you worked with horses, mm-hmm. behavioral. You get it. you got this dog trained.
1: Mm, no, kind of. Okay. Yeah, we've—I've had him for nine years, so
0: that's a good. Yeah, we've
1: hit our groove. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. Yeah, I had a I had a border collie. He lived to be almost ten, and. uh like I, st- I mean, still the best dog.
1: Really? Uh, yeah, I Ty- can't can't but-
0: talk about him too much. I'll start weeping. I know. <laughs> well, now that he's
1: ten, I can't even pet him without being like, "You're gonna die." Uh, no, it's too <laughs> much. Worried about Especially it.
0: like that first dog. So you got him when you were just early twenties.
1: I got him when I first got to Iowa. Yeah. Uh-huh. So my first semester, I had gone through like a terrible breakup, and of course, that's when people like cut their hair or whatever, and I got a dog. Right. <laughs> that's good though. Yeah, you adopted
0: yeah. him. Yeah. Oh, what's his name? Tai Tai. Ty-Ty? Yeah. Do you call him Ty or do you call him? I call
1: him Ty-Ty. His name actually is Ty and I've made a nickname that's longer.
0: Okay. Um, And so Iowa, you get there. um, Like I've talked to, I've talked to many people who've been through that program. Uh, Some liked it, some didn't. You had a good time.
1: I did. I mean, I think it's like lots of things where if I could go back in time and do it over again, I'd do some things differently. Like? I would write more. As, As opposed to what? Uh, I just, I was still kind of in college mode. I came in. Okay.
0: Wait a minute. College mode for most people <laughs> <laughs> is like a three foot bong and, you know, <laughs> frisbee golf. Like what was college mode for you? What does that college mean?
1: College mode was a step down from how intense I was in high school. Okay. Like, I got some bees. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Hey. crazy. Yeah. Um, and I did like i I became more social and I relaxed a lot and i've I've always been a pretty good procrastinator, and so that's really I mean in college I'd do the all nighter thing to write a paper and so at Iowa, I'd kind of do an all nighter thing to write a short story, which is really not the best use of
0: you, know, you ever take Adderall or anything like that mm-mm. you're not one of those mm-mm. you're not take you're not juicing mm-mm. okay, yeah, not yet anyway <laughs> yeah we'll see <laughs>
1: um, so Jonathan
0: first- Franz juices just so you know. <laughs>
1: Tweet it. Just tweet it right now. So I came in, and and my first year, I was basically a hermit. I kind of never went out. I didn't really make friends, but I didn't really write either. And then my second year, I was kind of, I had these two guy friends, and like five nights a week, we'd play this arcade game called Big Buck Hunter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's
0: very Midwest. Yeah. I play it, like, we go back to Minnesota to see my wife's family, and I've had, like, multiple Big Buck Hunter contests Mm -hmm. with my brother-in-law.
1: Yeah, he we beats were,
0: my ass at it every time.
1: He's probably practicing. If yeah, you practice, <laughs> yes, I can tell you this. <laughs> We've had like thousands of dollars into that machine in quarter form, right. and uh, I think it was kind of a way to to let out our competitive impulses because i think uh, lots of MFAs, everyone's sort of posturing about what kind of future they're gonna have and we especially
0: just, iowa yeah i went to usc and it was like hey it was like a commuter school no one it wasn't like a, it didn't feel like i was mm-hmm. it just felt like a place to hide like it was like a, a way to hide out and write kind of mm-hmm. but it didn't feel like i was at any place uh ultra literary where like every well, and a lot of people were like illiterate they couldn't spell <laughs> They let everybody in. It's
1: overrated, yeah. yeah. Well, but I mean, I think that's a crucial distinction because Iowa, you're this little, it's a pretty big program. It's like 25 fiction writers a year for two years and 25 poets. So it's 100 people and you're kind of this island in this town and this huge university. So not only are we all in workshop together, but you'd hang out at the bar together, um, just everything. Every party is the same people. So it's this tiny little island. So I think that allows...
0: Did it ever get ugly between people and workshop? Did you ever... Like the Lena Dunham girls depiction? Yeah. Like, you know, like, was it ever petty? And did you ever... Do you mean was the, Did sure. the, the competitive stuff boil over?
1: Um, I never saw... I mean, I think in the days when you could drink in workshop, it got a little <laughs> more heated, but that's...
0: They need to bring that back, by the way.
1: We, we had a couple workshops where there was like boxes of wine and it didn't help. <laughs> it didn't help anything. I mean, I think it was pretty civil. People certainly got their feelings hurt, and you certainly got mean letters or letters that were just off base from your your classmates like on your
0: on your document, yeah, when they returned your yeah, okay,
1: yeah, and be like. Like, the story that I wrote that became Seating Arrangements, I later found, like, when it was already a book, I found this letter that was sort of like, Caddyshack already did this, and it's just not funny. <laughs> what did
0: Caddyshack already do?
1: I don't know. Just write about preppies, I guess. And I was like, well, mm. yeah, lots of people have. Right. But, um, yeah. It, and so so my second year, I was just kind of, like, partied too much. Uh, good. I was going to ask, when day. are you going to yeah.
0: go, when are you going to go wild a little bit?
1: Yeah. There was a week where I realized I'd thrown up twice from drinking and then it was a <laughs> Tuesday and I was sort of like, you know, so it's okay. back. <laughs> good for you though.
0: I think, I mean, you know, it's silly to say that one needs to do this, but I think for people, especially someone who's wired, um, to achieve or, you know, it's just really, you know, that type of personality, like you do have to let off a little steam at some point, right? It's not healthy. Oh, sure. yeah. It's not healthy to be like too control
1: no and i'm not really like that i mean i'm i'm i think what prevented me from being more social really in high school especially it was just i'm i'm quite a shy person i was a really shy child um and as an adult i've learned to compensate especially now with with this job i have to do a lot of public speaking and things like that um so that it was more that as opposed to not being into having fun so okay I always, i've always liked
0: what fun. is shyness
1: It's, for me, I experience it as an anxiety, um, I guess partly about what people think about me, also about what to say, like, I can get, like, just sort of clam up when presented with strangers, and I think my personality seems a lot more sort of tamped down initially than it is, um... Yeah. It's just, I don't know.
0: But it's gotten better as you've gotten older. It
1: has. I think. Yeah.
0: And did did having success as a writer help that?
1: Yeah. Um, definitely. Like often when I come into a situation where there are a lot of strangers now, it's as sort of, you know, in my role, my professional role. Um, I also spend a lot of time by myself. I, um, between Stanford, I just moved to LA in September. And so between Stanford and then three years passed where I was pretty nomadic. And I traveled. I think I've been to ten countries by myself. I'll go somewhere for a month and just sort of park and like
0: VRBO. Yeah. You like to okay. So where have you been?
1: Um. So I left Stanford, and I had a year still before seating arrangements was coming out. And so I I went to Stanford owns an apartment in Paris. Is what you mentioned. I mean. Yeah. And you got it. Yeah. They
0: just give you the keys.
1: Well, it's so it's in this artist this complex of artist studios. Where in the city? In the Marais. Okay. On the river. Yeah. Um, but it's really, its it was built in 1960. It's sort of this Cold War linoleum floor, like prison toilet, like Still. Spartan space. But it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So I was there for three months. Um, oh, no. Before that, I was in Bali for a month. Then I was in Paris for three months. What were you doing in Bali? Just wanted to go. Just checked time. it out. Yeah. Surfing. Do you surf? Mm mm. No.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, and but, you got a big enough advance on uh, the book to take you around the world?
1: Um, you know, it wasn't a huge advance and smaller than plenty of my friends got, but then sort of cumulatively with other, um, countries and money I'd saved, I guess. Yeah. It worked out. And you
0: can, you're not, it's not like you're, you know, it's not like you're staying at the uh, Four
1: Seasons. Right. And I wasn't, you know, paying a mortgage, um, or rent or anything like that. So it's like, you know, if you take the rent, you would ordinarily spend and apply it somewhere else. It's sort of. Right. Um, then I went to Edinburgh for a month
0: Why there? Why, why are you picking these places? Do they interest you?
1: Edinburgh was pretty random I'd never been um, And I kind of thought after three months in France I'd want somewhere where they speak English Which they don't really in Scotland so. <laughs> Edinburgh <laughs> Yeah, I remember getting the taxi at the train station and Being like, I've made a huge mistake <laughs> um, And then I came back This was where my friends say I jumped the shark I came back on the Queen Mary 2 Across oh, man. the Atlantic How was that? Interesting.
0: Did you get seasick?
1: No. Okay. But it wasn't, it was pretty, it was pretty smooth crossing. I just kind of, I'm really interested in the ocean and the scale of it. And I kind of wanted to experience that. But what I learned is that you- Your last
0: name, I mean.
1: (laughs) That's right. It's destiny. Um, I mean, no matter what, you sort of are in this circle of water and you're just sitting there and you can't tell you're moving. And it's, it's eerie. Like every day at noon, the captain would come on and be like, um, we're 3000 miles from Southampton and- 3,000 miles from New York and the water depth is 15,000 feet and oh my God. have a nice day. It's terrifying. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. My, my room had this little balcony and I went out at night once and it's this crazy wind. It's the darkest darkness you've ever seen.
0: You're like, this is like a Dateline NBC special waiting to happen.
1: Well, just where'd she go? A young author. Yeah. Disappeared. off her balcony and watched (laughs) the lights of the ship. Oh, God. Yeah. Really horrifying. Yeah, I can't even
0: imagine. (laughs) Um, Did you meet people? You're on the ship by yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, it was funny. So they seat you at dinner. They assign you to a table. So I was at a solo traveler's table, and I was the youngest. It's like the kid's table. Yeah, except I was the youngest by at least... 40 years i was well maybe not quite but somewhere in there everyone was sort of in their 70s and 80s and they could not figure out what i was doing (laughs) (laughs) and so every night you know you you have dinner with the same people and my my best buddy was a retired priest from chicago named killian and he was like 85 and that's what he does now he just like cruises around
0: like literally on cruise ships
1: yeah yeah he had some like cunard you know platinum member thing and That was really interesting.
0: I went on a cruise with my family when I was in high school. It was the worst experience (laughs) of my life. It was like, I mean, like terrible seas in the Bahamas and storms and everyone in my family puking except for me and my mom. Yeah. And we went to see the band on the first night and the seas were so rough that the drummer slid off the stage. Yeah. Like that bad. Yeah. It was awful.
1: I've never, I don't know. So in December, I'm going for a magazine to this island that's off the um, southern tip of of new zealand but like quite far it's really halfway between new zealand and antarctica through that band of the southern ocean that's just notoriously stormy so i think that'll be my real test of uh dramamine yeah gonna try and
0: wait it. you're going there with a, ma- a magazine to send For you? a
1: travel story yeah
0: that's a pretty good gig. Yeah. How'd you get that?
1: Uh, but this is why I became a novelist in order to facilitate <laughs> writing for travel magazines.
0: But what did you just submitted yourself and said I want to do this? And um,
1: s- I'd written something else for them that didn't require travel, and then yeah, I pitched a bunch of stuff, and I pitched like Tahiti. I was a pretty pretty ambitious little pitcher. I pitched Tahiti, and um, I can't remember what else. And then this subantarctic island, and they were like, Yeah, we want you to go to the freezing island. On- they
0: pay you by the word, uh huh, and they pay your travel expenses. Yeah. I mean, because, like, that's the thing, like, magazine writing, journalism, it's gotten squeezed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but you, if you can, there's still a few gigs out there. Yeah. If you can find them.
1: Yeah, and this is the type of trip I would have wanted to take myself, but probably wouldn't have.
0: Well, and, even if, and even if you don't make a ton of money, you get an awesome experience out exactly,
1: of it. Exactly, yeah. And then the book I'm working on now sort of involves, um, it's the Seed event, which isn't the main sort of plot of the book, is a, a pilot, a woman after World War II trying to fly around the world north-south, which I'm trying to get to most of the places on this, this line of longitude. So I've been in the high Arctic. I'm trying really hard to get to Antarctica, but it's difficult. Where did you go
0: in the high Arctic?
1: I went on an artist residency in Svalbard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, I, who knows about the How did you find out? Um, By the way, where do you stay in Svalbard?
1: On a three-masted sailing vessel.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. By yourself?
1: No, with 27 artists and three armed polar bear guards.
0: Holy shit! Yeah, okay. this
1: was this was the coolest thing I've ever done. Um, again, worth worth becoming an artist of some kind for. Um, I mean, yeah. Where
0: where is Svalbard? I don't even know what that is.
1: It's north of Scandinavia, so it's at eighty degrees north. Um, it's sort of level with the top of Greenland. It's really up there.
0: Summer. Yeah. You didn't go in the winter.
1: No, um, but it was crazy. So it was light twenty four hours a day, and the second night we just put up all the sails and sailed north, and it was, it was pretty rough seas and. I woke up in the morning, Uh, it was just like otherworldly, it was flat, glossy black water with icebergs floating, because we went as far as we could until we hit the pack ice. And And you can't go in there. No, and there are walruses on the ice, and like bog, and mountains. You
0: see climate change evidence? Like, is it like, is it like sad? Is it like the the lone polar bear on the ice chip or whatever?
1: I mean, I don't think I'm enough to compare it to <laughs> the ice. You know, it's I've not like the it's not once. like the high
0: Arctic of my youth, <laughs> right? It's <was> like <laughs> this seems pretty icy to me. Um, I'm freezing my ass off up here.
1: They do see a lot of starving polar bears. We saw one polar bear.
0: They say they're eating dolphins now.
1: I think yeah, and they really want to eat people. So what would happen is every day we'd anchor, and the bear guards, who are all women actually, would go to shore and sort of set up a safe area. And then they'd be like, okay, bring over the artists. And we would all get in the Zodiac and go to shore. And they would watch the whole time. They have to watch the water. They have to watch all around to make sure there are no bears coming. And we'd like, do our art on the beach. You
0: know? <laughs> so like, bears can make it like they can launch an amphibious attack.
1: Yeah. And in fact, the one bear we saw, when we saw it, he was lying on some ice sleeping. And there's sort of a, in a lagoon next to a glacier. And there was a little spit of land, and we were all standing on the spit of land looking at it. And then it got up and went in the water. And they were like, okay, everybody back on the boat right now. So we got back on the boat, and then it reappeared out of the water just really far from where it had been incredibly quickly. And then just started walking down the beach and was kind of hunting some reindeer sort of that were uphill from it. Um, And you could just see that they're just really savvy hunters. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's not the way that I want to go. As by a bear. meal, no. As, uh, by anything Mm-mm. eating me. No,
1: no there sharks. were just
0: two shark attacks off the uh, coast of North Carolina.
1: Yeah. same day. Yeah, different sharks. I think so. It's not one shark just binging. <laughs> just
0: <laughs> a shark binge eating, <laughs> eating its feelings. Um, all right, so you're you're uh, like a, a world traveler. You've got a good thing going. I know. But you, like you say, you spend like a lot of time working. Um, like traveling solo. That's something I like to do. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would be like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You can hang.
1: Yeah. I. So when I wrote Seating Arrangements, I left Iowa and I had a little fellowship from Iowa and I had a little money and I had parents who were willing to bail me out if something got crazy. And um, so I went to Nantucket, which is Seating Arrangements is set on kind of a fictional Nantucket. Um, and I fully thought I would make friends. And I was there from October 1st to June 1st, so eight months through the winter, and I met no one. <laughs> and at one point, I went five weeks without having a face-to-face conversation. That's not healthy. Like, I'd talk on the phone, but that got weird, no. get, like my change at the grocery store. Um, but that, I mean, for better or for worse. Now, if you're like you're not going to do anything social for a month, I'll be like, okay, fine.
0: And you can do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of
0: you don't. But you don't then, like the next time you're in contact with a human being, you're not like
1: oh, I'm super weird. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My, at the end of that five weeks, two friends came to visit, and I like talked at them until one in the morning. And then my house was kind of, the bedroom was downstairs. And so one friend came through my bedroom to get to the bathroom just in the middle of the night. And I sat bolt upright and started screaming, like full lunged, crazy screaming. And he was like, I'm just going to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, okay. And like went back to sleep. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Were you like this at Harvard?
1: Um, solitary? Yeah. No.
0: You weren't. So, once, once, but the thing is, is that you kind of have to be in order to get work done.
1: Yeah. So I mean,
0: you're not going to do it in a, in a crowded room where you're in conversation with people.
1: Yeah. So I think as accidental as that Nantucket solitude was, it's been it's been hugely helpful. Um, I mean, I think that's, you know, those are two of my strengths, too, is that I never get bored and I almost never get lonely.
0: Okay. What kind of, where, where are you spiritually? What do you mean? I don't know. You believe in God?
1: Mm, not really.
0: You go to church or anything like that? No. Nothing? Uh-uh. You don't even need God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i never thought of it that way i need a dog so. you got
0: a dog yeah i'm yeah. I'm sort of wired the same way but now i've got a family and it's like i'm surrounded constantly that's why i come out here just to sit in the garage <laughs> to your with, lair with my spiders <laughs> um like so but you don't have any kind of spiritual like what's your you have to have some sort of spiritual understanding like even if you even if it's like there's nothing do you think about that stuff um
1: I do, but I guess I just think...
0: Come on, you're from Orange County. There's got to be at least a small strain. Yeah, of...
1: I went to a Christian high school. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the universe is so impossible. Like, we can't... It's, you can't understand it. So I don't know. Why should we presume that we are even sort of equipped to understand what started it?
0: But... Okay. And I, I get that. And like for some reason, I just flashed to, like, you being in the middle of the of the ocean and the ocean <laughs> being 15,000 feet deep. I don't know why, but there seems <laughs> to be a corollary there. But I don't think that we shouldn't try to figure out how to be uh, on the planet. I agree. Or, or, or try to figure out like what's going on. Yeah. But I, you know, at the same time, I'm thinking like it could all just be futile. Like we just might not. Like it's kind of like I'm never going to play for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Like we all are never going to know what the fuck is we're going not on. Get a, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. It's like an ant can't understand us. So how do we know we're not? you know, ants relative to something.
0: Totally. Yeah. You ever do any hallucinogens?
1: (laughs) No. Well, uh, shrooms once, but Uh, it didn't work.
0: Okay. Okay. You didn't eat the right shrooms.
1: Well, the people I was with, it worked for them. Oh, it did? Yeah. I think I'm sort of resistant. It was a portobello. (laughs) It was a shiitake. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't know. I'm also not, um, like pot doesn't really affect me. At all. I just, yeah, not really. So I think there's some like block.
0: Yeah. All right. I just, yeah, I just eat a lot and get paranoid. <laughs> I used to be able to do it in my golden age. <laughs> um,
1: I think it's okay.
0: And and you uh, you grew up in Orange County, which is an interesting culture.
1: hmm Do
0: you like it? Do you have fond memories? Because it's also a beautiful place.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um... Well, my parents moved to San Diego maybe six years ago, which I think was good. Good for them. My brother and I like San Diego. I don't know. I do have fond memories. It's, of course, changed a lot since I was a child, too. Like, when where I really grew up um, from when I was eight until I left for college is where they filmed The Real Housewives of Orange County. What is it called? Coto de Casa. Where is that? It's east of Mission Viejo. Kind okay. Of, okay. Santa Margarita. All right. Um, but when we moved there, it wasn't like that. Like, there was one road in through a Canyon. There were very few houses. It was really pretty rural. Um, and it kind of grew up around us.
0: What did your folks do?
1: Um, well, and they're Midwesterners, so, and kind of remained so, I think. From where? Uh, they met at Ann Arbor High School. All
0: right. I'm from Milwaukee and Indiana. Oh, uh, yeah. So, Yeah. I, I get it.
1: Michiganders. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So my dad uh, is retired But he was a lawyer And yeah, my mom is a child development professor Okay, so. smart people Yeah, they're very smart
0: And you had a good childhood
1: Yeah, a really nice childhood
0: Sunny every day
1: yeah, which of course I was desperate to leave for college and had no intention of coming back to California and then when I came back for Stanford I was like, "Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's nice. <laughs> it's really nice. <really laughs> the
0: air nice. smells of flowers. <laughs> it's not so bad. Yeah. I mean, like I like I always say there's it's, it's you know, it, 10 million people don't live here because it sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're not like clamoring to live here and crowded together because it's horrible. Right. Why did yeah. you, you come back to LA, I mean, why did you come to LA?
1: Well, so yeah, I had this long, this these three years of sort of being all over the place, and then intermittently I'd be at my parents' house, which which was really nice in a way because it was a way to spend time with my parents, you know, as an adult when nothing was wrong. Um, uh, so and then I'd, I'd leave and go on a trip, and I traveled a lot for my books because they came out pretty close together. Uh, and so then I just got to this point where I was like, oh, I just like want my stuff, and I had stuff in storage in in Palo Alto. And I had stuff at my parents' house. And I sort of was trying to... It was actually an oddly paralyzing thing to be able to live anywhere. Um, Nothing in particular, sort of narrowing it down. Um, So, like, two years ago, I spent two months in Missoula, Montana. I was kind of like, maybe I want to live in Montana. And I loved it, but but it seemed a little small. And so it kind of came down to L.A. or New York. And I have a lot of friends here from college. Um, A lot of
0: Harvard came here?
1: Yeah, for to work in Hollywood. Uh-huh. Um,
0: it's like that's the thing, though, is that these TV writings, like if you have an Ivy League degree, it makes a difference.
1: I think, yeah, I think that's true. They
0: take. They hire each other. Yeah. I mean, you know, I wish well, I would have known this.
1: It's not an accident because these are friends from, at Harvard I did this thing, The Hasty Pudding, that's uh-huh. the annual drag burlesque musical that right. students write. So I wrote it my senior year, and so these people are all involved in it in some ways. So they're kind of entertainment-oriented, even as, as teenagers. Um... So, yeah, I had a nice group here. One of my best friends, who's an artist, uh, moved here last summer, and that was kind of what tipped me over. And it was a lot easier to get my stuff from... What what kind of artist? She's a painter.
0: Okay. What's her name? Let's plug her.
1: Oh, yeah. Lily Stockman. Okay. And she and her sister have a scarf company called Black Shop Textiles. She doesn't need plugging. She has like 117,000 Instagram followers. Whatever. Yeah, I know.
0: Now she's about to have millions.
1: (laughs) 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 Um... So, yeah, I I drove, you know, a moving van down from Palo Alto. uh, You like it? I do like it. It's not
0: so bad. It's
1: great. I
0: like Los Angeles.
1: made lots of new friends, too. People are nice. I think people are, like, looking for friends, which I think is a little different than New York. Yeah, I
0: mean, because, okay, let's talk about this. Because you wrote a book about uh, waspy culture,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: affluent people. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming growing up down in Orange County, you, you had your fair share of affluent people. Mm-hmm. exposure to mm-hmm. then you go to harvard mm-hmm. and it's like extreme affluence. Mm-hmm. um
1: but different i mean that's
0: do you feel do you feel of them like do you have any kind of like like me do you feel because um, i'm torn like my my folks do well my grandparents were like super blue collar first generation american mm-hmm. uh, especially on my dad's side sort of r- family experience running the gamut and then i'm in the middle like flailing as a writer <laughs> um but, like, can feel, especially in Los Angeles, especially as a parent, like class anxiety. Do mm-hmm. you feel any of that? Or you're like, whatever, I'm one of you.
1: Um, I mean, I think I feel like you do, but I don't think it manifests as anxiety. It just manifests as. You
0: don't talk about it repeatedly on a podcast?
1: <laughs> Not yet. Over the course <laughs> That's of four, four years. For part two. <laughs> we, can, we can dig in. I don't know. I mean,. I, you know, obviously, yeah, like having horses and and things. My my parents are are well off, but they. My dad was an army brat. My mom was the. Her dad was a Unitarian minister. Um, so that was in their generation, but nothing like yeah. The wealth I encountered at Harvard was
0: next level. Can be
1: pretty staggering, yeah. Um, but it's also just like so. I got there. This was sort of like the core of seating arrangements, although obviously I didn't know it at the time and just these kids all seem so confident they seem to know each other and lots of them did from prep school and they'd wear pants with whales on them and you <laughs> know all these like all the signifiers of wealth were really different i feel like in orange county if you're wealthy you have like a huge shiny car and a huge house and you know you dress a certain way and then in new england it's almost the opposite you have like a creaky house and you don't get a new car and and you you know but but
0: but if you don't have a new car, it's like an old Mercedes.
1: Right. Yeah. Or it's like yeah. It's Like we've had it for years. Yeah. That's our station <laughs> car. Yeah. And I just never. I don't think I knew what a wasp was before I got there. Right. Um. But I was really intrigued by them. Initially, I thought I'd be an anthropology major. Um. And so I think I. I. Uh, but I, you can't be judgmental if you're an anthropologist, which right. is what put me off it and so I feel like being a <laughs> writer actually. You're but
0: anthropology, control. anthropology as a course of study seems to pair well. I've always like kind of wished I would have done that. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, it can be a great like foundation for a writing career like, yeah. in terms of like just, uh, you know, good education
1: and noticing things about people with incredible detail. Um, so yeah, I was really daunted by that sort of that waspy culture for a while. Um, I had a really waspy boyfriend senior year. And that what, was,
0: what was his name? Of- was his name like Tad or Todd. Todd? (laughs) It's like tying sweater. I can see the sweater tied around his neck right now.
1: Yeah, well, he's actually, he's sort of, he was an actor, now he's out here, he's writing, so he's sort of had a transformation of his own. Um, But so that, yeah, like, gave me sort of a new access, and so I wrote this story when I first got to Iowa, and so in some ways, seating arrangements was this sort of catharsis of all this my opinions about that culture and and what i'd noticed and some of what i'd experienced
0: i feel i feel like uh the wealth gap and you know the disparity between the haves and have nots is a huge problem
1: certainly although i will say in harvard's defense you know just just sticking with that narrow world um they do if if you can get in they'll pay everything and so i had a friend in college who now started this blog the toast yeah it's awesome nicole cliff and she's like, she's Canadian, so even an international student, she was like, they bought me warm clothes in the winter, they bought me a laptop, they paid for my plane tickets to go home.
0: And they should. Yeah. They have a, a, a massive endowment. A kajillion,
1: Yeah. 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 So
0: I mean, anybody, actually anybody. Actually,
1: a kajillion dollars. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so anybody who needs anything, you should just be able to like call a number and be like, I need a pizza. You yeah. Know, like, send it over.
1: Yeah.
0: I, I did. I did the work. I got my SATs. Um, but do you know anybody that you went to college with? That you were friends with who's not doing well
1: mm, not really <laughs> everyone's doing pretty well although there were you know you get some cases like friend of a friend just vanished after graduation and then maybe a year and a half later they saw her in times square doing stress tests so she went like hardcore c-org scientology no shit yeah and just Damn. off the face of the earth yeah do
0: you have any idea why
1: no I mean and I didn't know her but her closer friends were also just utterly like, baffled. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Scientology. I mean like as a Los An- as like a Los Angelino now. It's got a presence here. Like yeah. a, a more overt presence than pretty much any other city.
1: Yeah. Have you read Going Clear?
0: I've read Going Clear. I read. I interviewed Janet Reitman, who oh, wrote the yeah. first Scientology uh-huh. book. Um, I've read. Book, I mean, I've read everything get my hands on about yeah. it. I'm super fascinated. Fascinating. And I wrote like, a short
1: story, kind of about it. I'll send it to you. Called. Um, you have a friend in Ten A. It was in Tin House. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, to me, it seems like so beyond belief that anybody would be like, "Yeah, this is a good idea," but I guess that you could say that about a lot of different things.
1: Yeah. I mean that's the argument where they're like, well, who are you to say it's too ridiculous to be a religion? Look at all these other religions. Yeah. It's kind of like, well,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever clubs or whatever people get into. But man, they ask a lot, especially those org. You know, mm-hmm. you, you've got to really. It's a commit. What is it? A billion year commitment? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's asking <Unbreakable>. a lot. <laughs> Unbreakable. <laughs> Unbreakable Deeply
1: binding. Billion years.
0: Uh, it makes me anxious to think about that. That just like that's right out there, and people are doing it and spending all their money on it. Losing family and friends.
1: Yeah, I look at that big blue, the big blue building on Sunset. Yeah, the headquarters. With, like, all the window shades drawn, and now it's like, oh, people are imprisoned in there. Well,
0: and also, like, if you just walk up to it, they have, like, I mean, there's cameras, and the whole Mm -hmm. thing is just so shady. And, like, David Miscavige is just so transparently shady. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he's just not right. And you can just, t- I mean, and I know, like, you, you shouldn't prejudge people, but, you know, one look at the guy and you're like, okay, something's fucked up. <laughs> Am I wrong? Like, I mean, come I know, on. Yeah. How can you possibly want to march behind this guy? It's like,
1: kind of a quivering ball of rage. Yes.
0: The anger is, like, just emanating from him. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. It seems really twisted, but uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, so, you grew up Orange County. You didn't fall into it. Your parents weren't super religious. Mm-mm. Even though because the, the Midwestern thing they didn't carry that with them at all
1: no my dad's family is Catholic and yeah my mom's family is Unitarian and I think they both kind of
0: oh the Unitarian shrugged yeah the Unitarians a good strain yeah,
1: yeah I like very the Unitarian justice and him.
0: and also like no priest right there's no it's decentral, decentralized right
1: I I mean I didn't really go yeah my grandpa's a minister I think he led services
0: well there's like a wasp just flying around in the, in the garage now
1: I had heard us talking to also yeah
0: also uh, I should mention that my wife went to the uh, OB-GYN because she's been having these contractions. So it's possible that my wife is going into labor right now.
1: But she would have texted you, don't you think? Well,
0: she just sent me of a, a image. There's my son. That's the first time I've ever looked at. Oh, wow. In that crown, Yeah, that's crazy. I'm showing her a photo on my phone.
1: It sort of looks like a cow's heart. But, <laughs> but he's
0: beautiful. He's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, he's like a mushy, yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be looked at this way.
1: Oh, uh, okay. Oh, okay. It's just a face. Yeah yeah, a little, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Wow! Look at that! Holy cow! All right. Well, there's no message saying that she's going into labor, so that's good. <laughs> Just but that's been that, that's been like hovering over us yeah. this entire time. It's but like, I could be missing the birth of my child to talk to you.
1: I think you would have heard. <laughs> I'm sure I'm worth it. <laughs> right.
0: You know. right. Um, okay. So, who are your heroes? I know I kind of asked you. I was alluding to something like this earlier when I asked you what type of career you want to have. So I'll ask you in another way. Who are some writers that you hold up and you say, like, if I, at the end of my life and career, I could have done something comparable to what they've done, I would be a happy person.
1: Well, I mean, I think it is important to me to be fairly prolific, and I think that's one way to have a nice career, to sort of accumulate um, readers. Um, I'm a big fan of A.S. Byatt. Um, I think she's... I think her intellect is really pretty staggering, and... It sort of falls into the talent conversation, but I'm not that. But I do admire her books and and the sort of pace at which she's written them and the way she explores different things. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's so many writers I love. It's it's. I love Alice Munro, but I don't aspire to be that that have that kind of career. Partly because I'm not going to win a Nobel Prize, but I'm also not that kind of. Short don't history.
0: you never know? <laughs> you say that now.
1: Um. I don't know. It's have you let
0: me ask you. Have you ever imagined yourself winning the Nobel Prize? No. It's not like a, a secret goal in your like no. your office. I like. just
1: think that one's crazy. Like, have I imagined winning a Pulitzer Prize? Sure. But, okay. But I feel like the yeah.
0: I appreciate your candor because I think a <laughs> lot. I think almost every writer of like real ambition thinks about that stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, and kind of why not? You know. Well, but you have to. But awesome.
0: you have to have a certain amount of. You have to have a, a certain amount of talent and. Self belief. Like or I'm pretty sure dilution. I'm ne- I'm never gonna win a Pulitzer Prize. I'm pretty <laughs> sure about
1: that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I won't either. But yeah. you know.
0: All right. Um, so, AS it, Alice Monroe.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love like Jeffrey Eugenides's books. I love Michael Chabon's books. Um,
0: you ever met any of these people?
1: Yeah, I've met I've met both those guys because they both read at um, Iowa when I was there. Aspire, I haven't re- met or Alice Munro. Um, it's so funny. I you know get asked favorite writers all the time. It's, a it's a, lying, it's a it's a hard it, thing. I know. It's it's. I depends don't on what you're reading too. Like I'm reading the Fronte novels, like everyone else. Uh huh.
0: How how are those for you?
1: I love them, and I tried Knausgaard, but I, I did like too. A lot more.
0: I tried Knausgaard too, and I was like, ah, I, I'm not into it.
1: Yeah. And people keep being like, is this the future of fiction? And I feel like obviously not. You know, I think it's just one direction fiction could go. But I don't think in five years we're just going to see only 3,000 page long autobiographical. Oh, it's silly. Ultra detailed. Well,
0: when people start making like pronouncements or like write, writing think pieces along those lines, it's like, come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a million books. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have all sorts of different permutations. Like, it's not going to just be one way. That's that's silly season.
1: Yeah, and I think anytime a book that's sort of experimental in one way or another kind of achieves prominence, then everyone sort of starts being like, is this it? You know, I think probably DeLillo pre-internet, but early on, probably inspired a lot of conversations like that. Are all books going to be this way? Or Pynchon, you know? And it's like, no, it's just that that guy.
0: is really smart. Yeah. He freaks me out. Yeah. Like, his intellect. Yeah. Um,
1: he probably lives in a cave on a mountain. But,
0: but you know, he, but he's but got a very austere... Or not austere, but, like, just very disciplined.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, from what I gather, he was, like, a runner. And, uh-huh. You know, one of those. Like, just, like, very methodical. I don't think he had kids.
1: That makes sense with Murakami, too. Yeah. Sort of runner,
0: right? Well, no, I, w- I want to say someone told me that Murakami, when he's working on a book, gets up at 4 a.m., <laughs> writes until noon, goes for, like... Either either takes a nap and then goes for a run, or he goes for a run and then takes like a three hour nap and then works until like nine or ten at night, and like just the every and he does it seven days a week. I could be totally wrong. Twelve
1: hours a day,
0: but like he breaks it up, you know. And like I I can see how somebody who's like that, um, disciplined and like what's the word logical about how do I get the most productivity out of myself? Mm -hmm. Like because I know how it is. You sit there at the keyboard. You know, if you sit for eight hours and you mm-hmm. get and you're productive for eight hours, that's about as much as a person can do, mm-hmm. unless you're like Joyce Carol Oates, mm-hmm. um, and then you're going to be fried. Mm-hmm. And the only way in the in the context of a 24-hour cycle to get yourself back into a position to write is to exercise and sleep.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, you know, because eating's not going to do it. You eat and then you just get lethargic.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> if drinking you, doesn't. Yeah,
0: my right, own <laughs> at least not for me. And then mm-hmm if you if you only exercise. I feel like you're just going to exercise and then be sort of spent. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could eke out like some editing or another couple hours of writing, but like the exercise and a significant nap, if you could do that to yourself. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Murakami's doing it. Come on, Maggie. (laughs) No thanks. I mean,
1: when does he go to Whole Foods? Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) Um, This wasp is crazy. We have a wasp in the room. Okay. Now he's on the garage door. Um, Did we cover everything? anything like what, what else what's going what's next for you
1: um i'm trying to write this book which i'm definitely having a much harder time with than my other books partly because i think it'll be longer um and
0: do you want to try to write like a thousand page do you want do you have one of those books in you
1: that seems pretty mean i think this one's going to be 500 probably
0: like a, like a hundred thousand word book or more
1: well a hundred thousand i think seating arrangements was a hundred thousand and that was just over 300 pages Oh, shit. Because I have more than 50,000 on this new book, and it's 200-ish manuscript pages.
0: What kind of font are you using? <laughs> Got go to go Courier New.
1: <laughs> no, no, I'm, you know, well, now I use Scrivener, so I can't even tell. Okay? Oh, yeah. Use,
0: you like Scrivener? I
1: love Scrivener. It's nice. Yeah, a Game Changer. Especially if something complicated.
0: Just because you get to section it out and, like, you can s-
1: You don't have to have, you know, a thousand Word, Microsoft Word documents open all down in the toolbar so um and it's really research based so i've written sections and from as early as 1907 and it's a lot of sort of questions of like if you were the captain of an ocean liner in 1907 which neighborhood in new york would you live in and that's actually a tricky question to answer and so there goes two hours you know digging around on weird so
0: it's things. historical fiction or at least partly
1: yeah partly and there's a contemporary uh current day part are you day.
0: contracted for it? Is this, no so you're going to take this out to market yeah I'm sensing something big. It's going to be a big sale.
1: Mm. We'll see. I just want to finish it. I think I'd also, you know, I, uh, I was really struggling with it and really anxious about it. And then I went out to a friend's house and Joshua tree for a few days and for whatever reason, got back in the zone. And when I was in the zone,
0: it's because of Joshua tree, (laughs) the mystic, the the vortex, the (laughs) The energy (laughs) vortices,
1: (laughs) um, I, uh, I kind of realized that I hadn't really been in the zone for three years since I wrote Astonish Me.
0: Well, but you know, that's the thing though, is that I think people can sometimes get down on themselves because they're not in the zone or they're not getting stuff done. And like, again, unless you have like hypographia or like if I could be totally butchering that, but unless you're one of these people, one of these rare people, you have to replenish yourself and you have to let yourself be in a down cycle, like energy wise. Like, I think you can still work through Mm -hmm. it. I don't think you should use it as, you know, I don't think it's maybe wise to use it it as an excuse to not work, but it seems like all kinds of energy, whether it's physical energy. Like some days you just wake up and you have energy. Other days you have eight hours of sleep, you wake up and you want to go back to bed. Mm -hmm. And like, you can't really explain it.
1: That's true. Yeah. That actually makes me feel better. You're like, then
0: again, I did drink a half bottle of vodka last night, so (laughs) I might have something to do with it.
1: Good. That's how I feel today, actually. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I mean... I also think it's just a matter, I think the sports analogy really holds up with writing. I mean, I, I almost feel like I need a sports psychologist or something, but, um, just being out of shape, you know, I was on tour quite a bit, uh, cause I just went, CD arrangements came out, paperback a year later, astonishment a year, or less than a year after that, paperback less than a year after that. So it was also just like doing book stuff and that to me i think this is why solitude's been so important to me is that's when i sort of access that that part of my brain whereas being on tour and just like talking about myself all the time or or being social it's you know it it tends to sort of cut off the more creative side so it's also been a question of kind of carving out more mental space and
0: you're going to be in los angeles for a while are you off to someplace else
1: I think so. I'm, I'm going to renew my lease. You're going
0: to home base it here yeah, for a little bit, at
1: least for another year. You're
0: going to go to, to the uh, what? Antarctica?
1: Yeah, I have I have some I have some trips. Okay,
0: tell that. me, tell me, let me live vicariously through you.
1: Um, I'm going to Hawaii for a different travel magazine. Oh my!
0: God. What travel magazine? What what magazines are you writing for?
1: Travel and Leisure and Condé Nast Traveler. Um, I have a scheme cooked up for Antarctica, but I don't. Want, it's it's not it's not solid yet.
0: Where are you going? For, where are you going in Hawaii?
1: oahu okay um but oddly enough i've been to oahu by myself before so i think i might check out the big island as well
0: big Island's my favorite really yeah you have to give me i'll tell you i mean i want i went to this place called pololu it's just a beach Mm -hmm. but it was just like and i had just a great day Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful black sand beach and like there's a big cliff on each end of the beach kind of a crescent beach um it's as beautiful as it gets
1: yeah, I kind of want to um, hike uh, Mauna Kea.
0: Uh, yeah, I was I drove up there, mm-hmm. and yeah, you can see the lava. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's a gorgeous island. I mean, I've been to Kauai and I've been to uh, Maui. I got rained on on Maui. <laughs> it went with my family. I've like, been
1: to Maui with my family. It was
0: my mother's well. it was my mother's lifelong dream to take her family to Hawaii, and we finally went, and it was like a record breaking monsoon oh, no. for eight days and nights. And we almost killed each other. Yeah. Just stuck inside of a condo. That's really tragic. Yeah, it was bad. My brother in law and I, to just get out, we rode. We went. We were like the only people on the bike trip riding down. I'm going to. I forget the name of the. What's it? Haleakala. Oh. The volcano. Yeah. Yeah. In the driving rain. And it was freezing up there because you're at altitude. (laughs) Yeah. But it was like. We were just like. I remember we were like talking on the way down, shivering. (laughs) It's better than being in the condo. You know, like it was just. uh, It was not a happy trip. So like Maui, it was always going to sort of be on my shit list for that, but (laughs) I guess I should go back and try to experience it properly.
1: Yeah. When I went with my family, well, first of all, not to be LA about things, but that sounds like a screenplay. Um, when we went to Maui. My mom got carsick on the road to Hana and got mad at my dad who was driving. And like, I got a sun rash on my back and spent the whole time like trying to itch my back on trees. And all there. <laughs> like, <okay. laughs> like, then my mom got seasick when we went snorkeling. And it's yeah. just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was bad.
0: Go to the Big Island. Yeah, something about it. There's just a lot to it. And yeah. and you know, my wife and I, we were just dating and we were there for a friend's wedding and it just had a good time.
1: I think I'm drawn to kind of stark landscapes. I'm kind of interested in that.
0: Yeah, you'll yeah. dig it. You'll dig it. Um, well, I congratulate you on all your success. I think uh, you're leading a really interesting life and literary life. Thank you. I think it's awesome that you're out there um, finding ways to have adventures. And I always admire writers who not only do the work and like, are prolific and get their writing done, but also writers who find ways um, to go out and have experiences. You know, to make the research experience, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. As opposed to just being in, you know, the library or the home office or the coffee shop, which, you know, it yeah. has its merits. It's nice to get to leverage the the freedoms that the job provides and actually use them.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I try to do. And I I'm not, I don't really subscribe. I feel like you hear, like, undergrads or MFA students being like, I, you know, I'm in the school of life and that's how I'm <laughs> learning to write. And it's like, well, you know, you have to read. I feel yeah. like that's the most important thing. But... But yeah, I do. I'm I'm really gen like genuinely grateful for for this the opportunities and the freedom that that writing's given me. And and yeah, I think especially writing about place, I I think it's often pretty important to go there. Not always, but
0: yeah. But I mean, I how can you how can you? I mean, I know you can do research, especially if you're writing period. I mean, you can go to the place, but you can't go to the time. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be an element of imagination, but. I I would feel really weird writing a place that I'd never actually walked around, Mm -hmm. Uh, or at least spent a few days in. Yeah, especially
1: someplace like Antarctica or the Arctic. It's like you can't have an analog, really.
0: Plus, it's just like a great excuse to go on a trip. Yeah, (laughs) I need to go. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, there you go. That's Maggie Shipstead. Her novels are called Astonish Me. And uh seating arrangements. You can find her online at maggyshipstead.com and on the Twitter where her handle is at MaggieShipstead. Thanks to Kill Rockstars for the music. Be sure to check out KillRockstars.com. Don't forget about the app. This podcast has its own app. The app is free. It's the Other People app. It's the official app of this podcast. You go get that app uh at your favorite app store. To, you know, download the app onto your device, and then when you do that, the most recent fifty episodes of this podcast will be waiting for you free. charge free 50 episodes and then uh, if you want to stream everything you want access to the full archive of uh, interviews you just sign up for premium right there within the app it's very cheap it's a great way to support the podcast i detected a little hostility in the uh, text message did I read you the addendum I can't remember if I did I wasn't on call he said I would have not I would not have been happy exclamation point that's what he uh that was his final transmission dude my wife is doing mama's in bed if I can't call you then when can I call you Please remember that Martha Gellhorn described Ernest Hemingway as demonstrating quote, abject, bottom-licking narcissism end quote, and that Schopenhauer once said, quote, he who writes for fools will always find a large audience. That's all for now. Thanks again to Maggie Shipstead. Go get her books. Check out her work. And uh, I appreciate you guys listening, and I'll be back soon, unless my wife goes into labor. Unless I'm uh, suddenly in the middle of a home birth scenario that I'm not prepared for. Which would be a disaster That's like my worst nightmare Doing like delivering a baby In my home (laughs) Can everyone just pray For me that that does not happen Thank you (laughs)